Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. The number one podcast for learning and talent development professionals. Now here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Think Tank Podcast. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm so excited that you are joining me today for another great episode and conversation to help you up your game and improve your capabilities, as well as become more successful in your career in talent development. And we are talking about all things people analytics and everything around that today, as well as creating a skills-based strategy for hiring and developing an internal mobility. My guest today is Dr. Serena Huang, who is a thought leader and professional keynote speaker in people analytics, HR technology, future of work, ethical AI, employee experience, and mental health. Serena brings deep analytics experience and HR strategy experience spanning large multinationals, including PayPal, GE, Kraft, Heinz, Coke Industries, and Deloitte. And Dr. Huang regularly guests lectures to top NBA programs, including Kellogg, Wharton, and Haas. She's a LinkedIn learning instructor of a new course called the Data Science of People Analytics and a LinkedIn influencer from the highly selective LinkedIn Creator Accelerator program focused on innovation and technology. And I can say I've been following, been connected with Serena for a little while now, connected with her. She's sharing a lot of great content on a regular basis on LinkedIn, has been recognized as well, I believe, as a top LinkedIn influencer in the Chicago area. So Serena, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so great to have you. You are knowledgeable in so many areas. I know you speak a lot on people analytics, creating a skills-based workforce strategy, as well as a lot of topics around wellness and DEI. And uh, we'll see what we can get into, but I definitely want to make sure we talk about that skills-based strategy. But first, I want to start with a little bit of your background, because I understand you have a very interesting origin, a rather immigrant origin story to coming to the United States. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know we were going to go there. <laughs> so, yes, I, I, okay. gosh, I got here when I was very young, 13-ish, and I didn't speak any words of English. Funny enough, landed by mistake in Kansas, of all places, thinking I was going to a bigger city with my family and ended up, gosh, in the middle of nowhere, a town of 7,000. And I grew up, I was born and raised in Taipei, which is a city of millions, capital of Taiwan. So coming to the Midwest was quite a shock. There was no English or second language program at the time. And I ended up enrolling in Spanish, believe it or not. I didn't speak English. And it was my favorite class, I kid you not, because I was on the same, you know, level playing field as everyone else. Like we all knew nothing versus everyone, all the other courses. I was so behind. Like, you know, people will leave their books in the locker room. They will go home and I would carry those books and I would like translate them. I would learn new words every single night. It was, it was tough times. Uh, fortunately, within six months, I was able to pick up the language and, and really enjoyed it. I was like, oh my God, this is what life is about when I can actually understand what people are talking about. Fast forward several years, I ended up doing all of my degrees in Kansas, a place I thought I would leave shortly, but ended up getting all three degrees, bachelor's, master's, and PhD, all in economics from the University of Kansas. And finally, when I left and, and started working, I left the state. And yeah, I 
kind of, I think I made up for my time by moving around a lot after that. Six cross-country moves in seven years or something like that. Got really good at navigating the DMV. It's one of my hidden superpowers. Nice. <laughs> and taking all kinds of exams there. Yeah. And since then, have been building people analytics teams. And gosh, I, I think... Yeah, uh, God, it's so interesting to reflect back on what I've been able to learn and what I've had to learn when I yeah. didn't have a choice. Yeah. So one thing I do tell myself these days when I run into something difficult was that, hey, if the 13-year-old Serena could figure it out, you can figure it out now. Right. Oh, that's such a great reminder. And yeah, you've been through such a huge challenge. It also gives you probably a lot of empathy for people that are coming from such a maybe a disadvantage is, I don't know if that's the right word in some learning situations to say, Hey, yeah. let's, let's make sure that we're looking after everybody involved and giving them the resources that's going to set them up for success. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And, and this is a country built on immigrants. Right. And I remember seeing some funny jokes about, you know, I may not sound great or smart in English, but I sound like a genius in my native language. So, <laughs> so I always keep that in mind when I, when I meet new people, especially in data analytics, there are certainly lots of people who are from other countries and they came here for school. It's like, keep that in mind. They probably yes. sound like a genius much more than I am. <laughs> you sound like a native speaker to me. I don't know if anybody would know it's your, your second language. I'm curious, how did you get into data analytics? Yeah, so economics is actually very quantitative, um, at least the PhD is, I'll say the undergrad, perhaps not as much. Um, so I ended up, much to my surprise, taking master level mathematics uh, when I was in the PhD program. And, and so there was a lot of kind of theoretical mathematical language stats and things like that. And then I did a more more applied version of economics focusing on people. So my specialization was in labor economics. So think about supply and demand, but instead of for goods, it's about human capital. So yeah, so I was able to work on large data sets since I was in graduate school about people, their wages, and, and, and that type of data is what I got my hands on. But because I went to school a while ago, the, the new languages like R and Python didn't exist, so or SQL. And so I started to learn those things after I got into the job market where it's sort of like, well, the free tools that you have from graduate school no longer exist. We now have a new set of tools that you can get up to speed on or you can get left behind. So I chose not to get left behind and uh, definitely spend a lot of time learning new tools. I, I would say that's very core to who I am. I still do. I spend probably, six, there was a poll on LinkedIn the other day, probably 16 to 20 hours a week on learning. And yeah, so I just like, I do it for fun. Like you can't, you can't spend that amount of time doing something. It, yeah. You don't love it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think most people are lucky if they spend one or two hours a week on learning. Right. I do a little more than that, but like, I just feel like I need it. Right. And yes. I think, you know, so many of us are lifelong learners yeah. that we need to be learning all the time. So tell me more about this field of people analytics. I know this is a newer, gaining a lot of traction. You're seeing it in bigger organizations now. We may have a lot of listeners who work in smaller companies that don't have access or don't have someone working in this area of people analytics now. But this is where L&D and HR are starting to dig into a lot more data to inform decisions and where you've worked for a while now. So tell me what's going on with this field and, and how people can be leveraging it. Yeah, I've definitely seen people analytics grow up, I would say. I started doing people analytics in 2015 when it wasn't 
as prevalent. It wasn't everywhere. And people might have something called workforce analytics or HR analytics. That's very small, focusing more on reporting. And over time, I've seen it grown so much that I end up having my own data engineers, right? my own data science team of multiple data scientists. And that was not thinkable uh, even just a few years ago. So definitely seeing the growth. And for those who are new to the domain, I would simply describe it as using data analytics to make better decisions about talent. That's it. Using data analytics to make better decisions about talent. That's what people analytics is. At the end of the day, you want to use data analytics to improve how you're hiring, how you're retaining people, and how you're promoting and doing succession planning and creating training opportunities. And data analytics has grown up as well. And just think about the amount of data that is available, um, not to mention the recent development in generative AI. Unless you've been living on the rock, you have heard of ChatGPT at this right. point. Right? So overnight, we have all become AI experts suddenly um, being able to play around with AI. And again, that was unthinkable just a few years ago? How many years of schooling do I need to go through to be able to do something in AI? Well, guess yeah. what? Now everyone can. So yeah, so I definitely see a lot of change. Really looking forward to see the continued growth and, and being able to attract other people into people analytics. That's been my secret mission. We'll say when I was in various organizations, I was on a secret mission to convert other data analytics professionals into people analytics. And most of the time, they haven't heard of the domain at all. Partially, I would say it's because HR projects tend to be very confidential, right? No one wants to talk about uh, some of the secret projects, right? You can't talk about it. It's often confidential. And, and I would say until more recently, there also isn't a lot of branding efforts around people analytics. And now you see it everywhere on LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people in data analytics starting to move in and support HR and, and people teams. For people that are maybe on smaller HR or L&D organizations that are looking to find ways to leverage data more, what do you usually recommend for them to get started? Um, gosh, first of all, figure out the pain points for, for your organization. I think mm. a lot of times when I talk to L&D, and by the way, L&D has such a special place in my heart. I don't know if you know this story, Andy. Years ago, when I first gone in-house from a Deloitte consultant to GE, it was my first, you know, like corporate job. That was not a consulting gig. And I went to this giant internal conference where I was one of the few nerds there. And I felt so out of place. I had no idea what to do. And the L&D folks, for some reason, really embraced me. They were like, oh my God, you know data. Maybe you can help me. Let's talk. Such a friendly crowd. So it's just had a very special place in my heart. I'm always willing to help anyone in L&D when it comes to data. And oftentimes they have the least resources when it comes to people analytics too, in my observation. For some reason, like I don't understand. It's such an important part. Yeah. But anyway, so, so they're always grateful to get help from myself or my team. And I've always um, just, you know, like I said, I, I enjoy learning. So anyway, so to get started, definitely figure out what's keeping your business leaders up at night. What are they thinking about? What can you help them with? Instead of tracking data that you think is interesting, focus on them. 
analytics is not about you. Analytics is about the person on the other side of the table. So whether that is hiring, whether that is upskilling, whether that is retention or succession planning, think about those different areas and figure out what is the specific pain point for your business. And I, I would say definitely don't try to boil the ocean. A lot of times data analytics professionals want to have massive amount of quantity of data to work with. And that's great, but you don't always need it, first of all. And it may also not be the pain point that your business leader has. Um, So yeah. Very cool. So the next thing I wanted to get into and make sure we talk about was your ideas on how to create a skill-based workforce strategy, especially in the midst of uncertainty, because there's a lot of that out there. And I've been hearing more and more this idea of skills-based hiring, skills-based you know, analysis for talent mobility in organizations, and even many organizations removing you know, degree requirements from the roles that they're putting out there, the job listing. So I wonder if you could talk more about what that means and, and what you're seeing in the marketplace. Indeed. It's definitely been a shift over the past few years. I don't think the concept itself is that new. But over the past few years, as we have gone into the great resonation, right, all the talent crunch that's really happening, organizations want to be able to hire people who can do the job, who can do the job right away, not after months and months and months of additional training. And when companies were having a hard time hiring people, they started taking a look at all the job descriptions. And most of them will say, you know, four-year degree required. And when they look at some of the jobs, it's actually not needed. A lot of people have gone through because tuition has also gone up, at least within the U.S. So some of the individuals have gone to boot camps, right, to learn how to code, for instance, and can do a great job coding. And they're able to pass interviews that are technical, even though they haven't finished a bachelor's degree in computer science, for example. So that opened up doors to a lot of individuals who are looking for for work and made it a lot faster for companies to hire talent without requiring the bachelor's degree. So I think they're starting to see the benefits on both sides, the employer and employee side. And now we are facing another really interesting time of going back, should we go back to the office? It seems like we should have it figured out by now, but we really don't as you look at the news, right? So what does that mean as far as talent? Well, if you can't see people day to day because they're not in the office, traditionally, maybe that is one of the ways managers and leadership can assess the skills of an individual. And now now we don't see them as much. Maybe we see them once a year. So some companies are coming up with ways to creatively assess skills, whether it's through a formal assessment or just self-reported skills, and let employees tell them, what are you interested in working on? What new skills have you gained that we should be aware of? And therefore, we can give you new opportunities internally so that you are not bored and you are engaged. So, so I think it's both on the external hiring as well as this really important problem of internal mobility that we're trying to solve. And none of it is really possible without skills data. I, I've asked many tech companies this question before, and very few people can come up with an answer. If you ask the head of talent acquisition or the CHRO, how many people in your company knows Python really well? 
very few people actually know the answer to that. And it, it seems right. so basic, right? And so there's kind of two levels of problems here. One is just the lack of data tracking on skills. How many people even know Python, period, right? You may not know that. You may know your own LMS, right? Maybe there's a Python course that was offered. You know how many people and who went through that Python course. But that doesn't mean they know how to create a data science model that doesn't mean they can you know work on nlp for you so so i think there's kind of you know sometimes there's no data at all besides the inferred data from lms which is not good enough and then two as far as actual proficiency um there's almost no data even for the companies that do track and yes no on a particular skill so so i think there's a lot to work through and i'm not saying that if you have zero data you you are in you know, you, you can't get started. You can always get started, right? So my encouragement for a company is, is thinking about not necessarily Python, but what is that one or two or three critical roles and skills for your organization going forward, right? Not today, but yeah. think about it. If your organization had, looks exactly the same a year from now and no one has learned anything new, let's just say no one quits, which is impossible. But let's say no one quits and no one learned anything new, are you going to be successful? I would bet most CEOs will say no. So how do you figure out where to upskill? This is where the data analytics really comes in and assessing your current state, right? If you don't know what you currently have, how do you know where to go? So, so first think about the important skills that you need in the future that you may not have as much of, or maybe you have no idea how much you have today. Right. And, and work on those, get started on whether that's digital skills or something else and, and just get started, get started tracking, get started on uh, monitoring where people are and then offer training courses and, and then check in a few months, a year from now and see if you have made progress. Yeah, it's about like figuring out what you want to do with this and then and trying some things. And I was going to ask, could you give maybe an example of something you've seen that works as a skills-based strategy, workforce strategy? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times in my experience, the group that is very excited to get started with this is not so much the data science folks. You would think they love data, but sometimes we get in our own way of just too much debates. <laughs> the group that's often very excited about this is the commercial organizations, the sales teams, right? They are customer facing. They want to generate revenue because their bonus and their compensation depend on it, right? So if I can help a sales leader figure out the skills that will make, predict even the next rainmaker in your organization, that is valuable information, <laughs> So that doesn't mean you know, going on and read a bunch of research papers. That means within this organization, figure out what skills actually drive revenue for you, for your customers. And that's going to be different from one customer to another and from one company to another. So I've actually done that type of analytics and it's very interesting to see what comes up. Sometimes it could be negotiation skills. Sometimes it is, you know, really customer, customer service uh, of some sort. So every organization is going to, to be different, but think, think of a simple framework that you can use. Some companies have existing sales competency models. You can start there, or maybe you don't, you know, get too complicated and, and just get started with 
thinking about someone who is successful in the organization, a sales leader who is being successful. What are the five things they're good at, right? Those are your five skills that you go measure and just start there and see who has those skills and who does not have those skills. It can be as simple as that. And so once you're able to prove how it works and that it does provide value, um, you can you can take it much further and expand. So what do you do with that information? Well, after you figure out these skill sets that uh, the sales team has, for example, you can figure out gaps, right? So somewhere between the average person in sales versus the top you know, revenue generating sales leader, what is the gap between, between them in terms of different skills? Then focusing on the biggest gaps and close those gaps. That could be through training, that could be shadowing, that could be specific projects to upskill them. And, and then also, I think that's internal training. The other part of the strategy needs to be on hiring, right? Hiring is one of the most expensive things that companies do. When you make a great hire, ah, oh, that is incredible. When you make the wrong hire, however, that is super expensive. Mm. So how do you make sure you make the right hire and where skills come into play is when you figure out which specific skills are the most important to your organization. And by important, I mean revenue drivers, right? Once you figure out those three to five skills, go out to the market, update all your job descriptions and sales to reflect those, make them must haves instead of nice to haves and tell the recruiters, hey, these are the skills that we're now looking for going forward. So now you have your trainings training plan, right, internally to upskill the talent that you have in the organization. And then you have a recruiting strategy that is based on skills. Um, I would say if you can do those couple things, that's a great start. Yeah, some great ideas right there for how people can get started. One thing that might be related, I wanted to ask you about was leveraging employee surveys. This is something when I talk to L&D people, you know, I ask about, you know, data and what's going on with you know, career development with attrition, with hiring. This is one of the first things they're going to bring up that I'm going to hear about the the surveys that they're conducting or leveraging and and wow. what it's telling them. How how can L and D better leverage or or effectively use uh, employee surveys? Hugely important. Well, number one, make friends with the people analytics team if you haven't already. <laughs> Buy them a cupcake. Yeah. And and. I think there's always a question or two, at least I have seen in, in all the engagement surveys around career development, right? Whether it's learning opportunities, growth opportunities, see if you can at least get some insights from the people analytics team on those topics just to get started and get a sense of where, where the organization is. Are most people pretty happy with it or are most people pretty not happy with it? Know where you stand. And then I think besides the quantitative data, a lot of times there are also comments related to those topics, right? See what the what people are actually saying. Is it I don't have time to learn when it comes to my work? Or is it I want to learn, I have time, and I can't find the materials? Those are very different problems to solve. So make sure when you find those, you know, people who are less happy with what L&D is offering, figure out where to go next by looking at some of the comments. And of course, when no one has time for 
for reading through thousands of comments these days. And, and that's where data analytics comes in. Uh, hopefully there's a, a little bit of analytics help that you can get from either the vendor or your internal team that tells you what themes they're seeing, right? What are the top three themes? And then you, you can go from there. So that's really important. The other piece is a lot of times people in the analytics team will do analysis retention drivers from the engagement surveys of, you know, what really keeps people here. And they could find that particular career development item being a driver or a particular learning offer, or maybe it's related to onboarding, or maybe it's related to manager effectiveness. Focus focus on those. If retention is your goal, and it's hard to come across an organization that says retention is not their goal these days, <laughs> then focus on those areas. Because I think the other piece that maybe deserve more attention is manager effectiveness as a topic. Right. People are saying that managers are feeling the squeeze. Gosh, three years of COVID, three plus years now, mm-hmm. definitely feeling a lot more. It's it's coming from all directions, right? How do you how do you keep employee engagement high and and also making sure you deliver for the business? So is there a difference between great managers and not so good managers? That's a particular area I think LD is in perfect position to help with. Once you figure that out, right, offer more training, offer more opportunities to to upskill the managers who need the help and help them prioritize too. It's not going to be everything under the sun, but which particular courses, which particular training will get them there. Yeah, some great advice there. And that's something that's that's coming up a lot. And people are definitely looking for new and better ways to leverage those employee surveys. You mentioned attrition. And of course, everybody's always trying to figure out ways to reduce that. And, and then one of the best ways, of course, is to engage employees and give them the right development opportunities. But in your experience in analytics, I think I asked you this last time you and I just talked to one-on-one, what have you seen as one of the top predictors of attrition, either for individual employees or groups of employees? Like, is there any way to kind of see that coming? It is really hard. And in my experience, it's going to vary from one industry to another and one organization to another. So I haven't, I don't think I've seen the same. Some of the variables are definitely similar. One that isn't that isn't always tracked very well. So you might have data problems, but it's super easy to implement. So uh, maybe it's a gift. I'll share this one. Is recognition and showing gratitude towards employees. So when we think about recognition, I don't necessarily mean a spot bonus of $5,000, right? Not every organization has that kind of money these days. But just showing that you appreciate the efforts from your team matters a lot. And sometimes it's public recognition, right? Some some organizations have these awards that are not monetary, but you get recognized on stage or a virtual stage by your leadership team. That's a big deal to employees to feel appreciated. At the end of the day, what makes people feel appreciated may differ, but a thank you goes a long way. And not just thank you, that's very generic, but thank you for a specific thing. I've done something that is a little bit crazy perhaps within my team uh, because I read a lot of books and there's a lot of books on gratitude and how to build it in. So I do a gratitude journal my myself and I thought, you know, what if I bring it to the organization and see how it goes? So I told the team, hey, I've been reading, as you know, and run into an interesting suggestion of sharing gratitude within a meeting just yeah. with each other. 
And I will kick us off and I'll say, you know, I'm really grateful for this person who helped me out when I was away on vacation for doing this thing. Again, very keeping very specific. And, and also for this other person who jumped in on this call because I wasn't able to attend. I was double booked, you know, specific, small, but they felt it and they heard it. And everyone else on the team heard it, too. And then I just opened it up and said, who else wants to share a gratitude to someone else on the team? And it was probably the longest 10 seconds in my life. I thought, oh my gosh, if no one <laughs> says anything, I've, I don't know. <laughs> I guess yeah. I lesson learned, right? Yeah. Fortunately, someone else jumped in and it just became this natural thing that we could do to mm -hmm. boost each other. And, you know, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It's not an email, it's super easy. And I really encourage any manager to think about how they incorporate something simple as you know, a if you don't have a huge recognition program that has monetary awards, or if you don't have budget for that, a little gratitude goes a long way. And it doesn't have to be huge, right? It doesn't it doesn't have to be a trophy, but I think it has to be frequent. That was my lesson learned: is that the time, the time since last time I you know felt appreciated or recognized matters. So if it has been six months, it's probably too long. It doesn't yeah. have to be every hour, but you know, shoot for maybe once a month, once every other week. Think about how you can show appreciation and recognize your employees. Yeah, I love that. I've heard of people doing that in meetings, and I I keep my own gratitude journal and. We've got to wrap this up, Serena. I am grateful that you have been here. Is there any last tidbit or quick tip you would add for people in L&D who are looking to get more involved with data analytics, people analytics? Yes, I think L&D is in such a perfect place to do so much more with data beyond the how many people have taken a training and even satisfaction with a particular course. I think I would love to see more collaboration between people in analytics teams and L&D in general and how they can come together is by solving those big problems for retention, for leadership effectiveness and diversity and inclusion. We didn't quite touch on this, but that's a hugely important topic. Once you identify what makes DEI work in the organization, keep doing it and partner with your data analytics friends and do more of it. I like it. Yeah, you're right. That's another big topic we didn't get into where you can tie people, people analytics in and use it to improve the effectiveness of the work you're doing in DEI as well as L&D. Serena, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on to share. I know you recently started your own company called Data with Serena. And yes. You're pretty active on LinkedIn. If anybody wants to find out more about what you're doing or reach out to you, is LinkedIn the best place? Is there anywhere else you would tell them to go? Yeah, LinkedIn. I'm also on datawithserena.com, one word. By the way, for those of you who are wondering, it's actually short for learn to love data with Serena. <laughs> So, so it's too long. So I just keep it uh, datawithserena.com. And I have moved my wellness focus materials to YouTube channel. It's Be Well with Serena. Mm. If anyone wants to come meditate with me or do yoga, you are welcome to find me on my YouTube channel as well. Very cool. Well, I meditate every single day and I love Yoda. 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 I love yoga. So I'm going to have to come check that out. Uh, <laughs> Please do. Dorita, thanks again for being here. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking with you more soon. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that will do it for my interview with Dr. Serena Huang, who is such an expert on people analytics, as well as HR technology, AI, employee experience, mental health, and so many more things that we could have dug into. But I'm glad we got a chance to discuss 
how to create a skill-based workforce strategy. And I appreciated that she shared some, some real examples in there and some advice on what we can do to get started if we haven't done this yet, as well as what you can do to get started using people analytics and data analytics in your people strategy, your L&D strategy, if you haven't started using anything yet. I know many of you work in large companies where this might be regular way of working. And many of you are in small companies that haven't started using that much data yet. And we've got a wide spectrum here. And so I want to always provide you know, as much guidance and advice as I can in different areas that will really help you up your game and improve your capabilities in the world of talent development. And speaking of that, as you may know, if you're a regular listener, I also run a membership community called the Talent Development Think Tank. And our mission is to help you improve your capabilities and find more success in your career in talent development. That is what we're all about. It's sort of like take the knowledge that you get from this podcast and up the ante and provide a ton more value because now you get access to ask questions from our guest speakers as well as learn from other professionals, practitioners, and even providers in the talent development space who are doing these things on a regular basis. And we get to share best practices, learn what each other are doing, uh, share ideas, solve real problems, ask questions. It's really a phenomenal place to be. There is no better place in the world of talent development. There is a fee to join, of course, and there's also a ton of value that comes with that, not to mention the value that comes from investing in yourself. You know, I mean, many of our members have been lucky to get their companies to pay for their membership, but we also have many members who are paying themselves and I find they get even more value from investing in themselves. So however you got to do it, whichever way you do it, if you're not yet a member, I would invite you to come check us out. If you're not sure, you can reach out to me, you can book a call, you can join one of our calls to check it out before you join as a full member. But there's just so much value there. In addition to the calls we do on a regular basis with many of our guest speakers, and we will have Dr. Serena Huang as a guest speaker in our community this year. So make sure you sign up so that you can join that session and learn more about people analytics. We also have a treasure trove of recordings in our member vault from past calls over the last three years. We started this community in May or June of 2020 and it has been going strong ever since then. All the information is on our website, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. And when you sign up, you can use the code HOTSEAT or rather THINKTANK for 10% off. So when you sign up, you can use the code THINKTANK for 10% off. All right, thank you again for listening. Stay tuned. In just a couple of days, I'll be releasing my bonus Q&A episode with Dr. Serena Wong. Talk soon. Talk soon.